Greetings. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. If one can make a leap of faith, which is really what it is, into a full-blown creed of evolution, which grips most of the minds, it seems, today of the people in the world, Evolution seems to be uh, well taught and seems to be a fact as they present that. So uh, if you believe that, and nobody here believes that, I'm sure, at least I would. These, these guys are getting pretty loud on Sunday mornings. I feel like I'm in a real big city or something. <laughs> anyway, if one believed that evolution, then they would have to believe uh, about what happens after you die. And that means you die something like what a tree does. A tree just dies and that's it. There's really uh, no existence. Nothing is what it comes down to. Uh, going out of existence. That sounds rather positive, doesn't it? Uh, I, I wouldn't look forward to that. Uh, boom, you live here and then you die and that's it. And to uh, a true evolutionist, that's really what, where their faith, which it takes a lot of faith to believe in evolution, doesn't it? That's where their faith takes them. But if you find on the heart of a believer, and you will, that they believe in a creator God, and this creator God has a relationship with them because they were made in the image of God, then we uh, realize that there is a vast difference between being made in the image of God and being made merely like an animal or, let's say, a uh, Creatures of intelligence, uh, they say that dolphins and whales are very intelligent. And of course, the chimpanzees, which everybody's familiar with on the, the theological uh, realm versus evolution. Um, at the same time, chimpanzees and, and all the other animals or whatever uh, we would come from, they would so suppose, uh, dealing with mutations, dealing with chemistry, uh, we don't see that. We are made personhood in the image of God. That is a high thought. Made in the image of God, the Creator. That we will take with us all the way through eternity. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says God has put eternity in their hearts. And that's what we have on our hearts constantly. Eternity. And uh, like millions of other believers, and you met Jesus Christ because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and uh, you are persuaded of who He is and what He's done to us. You are not unsure whatsoever. We sing the song, Blessed Assurance. We have absolute assurance that we have eternal life to be with Him. And He's told us many things. In, in the scripture. And of course, that definitely frees us from the evolutionary creeds that are out there or uh, theological evolutionary creeds. There are people who are Christians that kind of tie in evolution with Christianity. I'm not so sure if they're really Christians with that kind of thought anyway. But we have no fear of death. What we have seen so far in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where Paul was dealing with death and dying and uh, what happens after we die here and these physical bodies. And, of course, he had said 
that we prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And I think that's all of our thoughts. That should be what is so much on our minds as we think, boy, one day to be in the very presence of Him. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to depart and be with Christ is very much better. Verse 21-22-23. Another thing that we learn is not only do we depart and to be with the Lord, but it's more than just leaving our body. At some time, we will have resurrection bodies. And so therefore, the resurrection of the body is taught throughout Scripture. And that's nothing new to Christians. Of course, that's part of the gospel. That's one of the first things that you hear when the gospel is being presented. It's a body much like his glorious body. And so Paul has been teaching that. He taught about us being in an earthly tent versus the eternal dwelling, building from God. And, of course, that's what he's pointing to. So this is why Paul is very confident as a believer. He's just full of courage because he knows that if he dies, he goes to be with the Lord. There is no reason whatsoever to ever fear death or anything in life outside of fearing God, having that reverential, awesome relationship with God. Paul knew that while we're at home in the body, we're actually away from home in the Lord. And he knew that. That's a striking expression to say, I have a home here and also I have a home waiting. And that other home is really what we're all shooting for. I'm at home in the body. I'm comfortable here in one sense. But there's more comfort that's much better. And So Paul knows he, he can't lose. This is a win-win situation as a Christian. Isn't that great? So why would anybody be bogged down in the things of the world that come and create problems with us? Um, Paul had all sorts of them. We've seen that throughout Corinthians. And he knew God was in control of life. He knew God was in control of death. He knew he was in his hands. And he lived to please God. He lived to please God. And so while he was here on earth, his focus was to please God. Or as we know uh, very well, we're here to glorify God, right? To please God, to glorify God, to praise God. All those work in conjunction. Different words, but it's all dealing with giving glory to God, isn't it? And we give Him glory by us living the kind of Christian life as we walk by faith here. We please Him if we are obedient. And so there's the whole motive of all of this. He uh, has an attitude that I think is something that we should desire in this kind of attitude of pleasing God, this desire. When we obey Him, no matter the circumstances, that will please Him. When we obey Him, it always pleases Him. Pleasing Him glorifies Him. And so this is what we call supreme ambition. People have ambitions for jobs, for money, for all sorts of different things. Christians should have one main ambition, and everything else falls into place, to please God. Let's pick up the text, and let's see how true that is of what we have just talked about. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, let's stand. 
Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for this treasure. Thank you for informing us of what life is about, what death is about, what eternity is about, as we look at such an important text of what this life is about to a Christian. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul's confident. Paul is very confident. He had faced death, faced death many times. He faced death daily. But it says here, therefore, and we know therefore is therefore uh, a reason. And then in verse 9, he will say, therefore, which is therefore a reason, because of what he just said in the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 5, about this unearthly tent, but yet he awaits for our house being torn down, the tent being torn down, and then we have a building from God, which is our eternal, glorious body that we get. You know, I guess it's only Christians that talk about this kind of thing. This seems automatic to all of us. We hear it. We believe it. It revolves around our life constantly. So we're not really saying anything new here, but just think about it. Of all the billions of people in the world, there are very few who believe this. This is good news. This is what we have to shout about to the lost, isn't it? Therefore, having always of good courage, being of good courage, cheerful, joy, happiness, content, all of those words go along with this idea of having good courage. What Paul does do on here as he dwells on this section is what we believe about the future affects our lives right now. And so if you have that attitude that Paul has, which he was a Christian, should have, then it makes a difference in your life right now. And that's, that's uh, an amazing thing. It most certainly affected Paul. He possessed an eternal house in heaven. He knew that. And that allowed him to always have uh, an upbeat, positive attitude in some of the worst circumstances that he could have ever been through. The adversities that he faced, but yet he was of good courage or cheerful, a cheery attitude. If you go back to chapter 4, we get something of um, this nature, only it's coming from a negative aspect. Therefore, do not lose heart. See, there's the idea of, hey, be of good courage. Don't lose heart. And so, from time to time, there were probably could have been temptations where he could have lost heart. 
basic attitude, though, we see here is of courage. Um, the Greeks, some Greeks actually had courage in the face of death. And they had a belief, many of them did, that they possessed an immortal soul. So when they did die, they knew that there was a life hereafter. It wasn't quite what Christians believed. Others had no such a, uh, hope at all. And there was nothing after this life. And they would have an eventual demise and that would be it. So Paul, on the other hand, he's cheerful about the prospect of death. That, that's what he's been dealing with the first five verses and he continues on as we look in our text today here. So he says, therefore, being always of good courage. He's not just saying every once in a while, have good courage all the time. Just like being thankful always is a constant state of life, isn't it? Courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. In the body, out of the body, Paul's speaking here. Absence from Christ. While you're in the body, you're absent from Christ in the physical sense. We know he is here with us, obviously. But in another sense, we don't see him, do we? We don't physically see him. Paul is not slipping into some kind of dualistic type philosophy, which was the mark of the day as uh, the Greeks some of the Romans um, believed. And so it speaks uh, at home in the body, absent from the Lord. Uh, there's two places here that uh, he's mentioning uh, that's, that's a home. The body here is simply a, like a catchword, a, a present mortal existence. That's what, how we exist right now living in this. Um, when you hear away from the Lord, sometimes you hear that, and that doesn't sound too good, does it? Oh, how's he doing? Well, he's away from the Lord right now. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it doesn't ring very well to our ears, does it? It means they're, they're not, not obedient, if, they're, if they truly are a Christian. Of course, we know that the Lord is always there, but sometimes he doesn't make it really evident that he's there because somebody, who moved? <laughs> the Lord doesn't move. He doesn't change. Sometimes we move. It's always in the wrong direction if we move away from Him. But in this sense, that's, that's not the case. Away from the Lord just means I'm not in the very presence of Christ. I'm not seeing Him as He is. I can't see Him. I can't touch Him. I can't feel Him. So um, speaking here, Paul is in a, uh, a spatial way, not, not a relational way. Out of the body is present with the Lord in or out of the body. There's no alternative. Either you are in the body or you're present with the Lord. And that's what Paul has already presented in the first five verses. And, and of course, in Philippians, uh, as soon as we die, uh, we're, we're there with him. There's no soul sleep. So uh, if you look in uh, Philippians 1.20, it's interesting. We actually have two different homes. We have a home here on earth in these bodies and then we have a home that's eternal which we haven't been there yet <laughs> but that's our home Philippians 1 20 it's always good to go to uh, other texts that Paul writes about it just supports that and helps us get a little bit more depth on 
the, the topic there in, in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope. And this is not just expecting, not just hoping that this will happen. You know, 50-50 chance. No, that's 100%, right? We have blessed assurance. That I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. If I die, he's exalted. If I live here, I'm pleasing to him, he will be exalted. For to me, to live is Christ. To live, right? That's Christ. Christ living in me. And to die is gain. Even better. But if I am to live on in the flesh... And I don't know, I don't know which to choose here. He's saying, if I'm a, I live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So that's a good thing. So okay, if God desires me to keep on living here, then I want to continue to labor, and there be fruit out of that. But I am hard pressed both directions, being pressed in on it, having the desire to depart. Paul wanted to go, but. And, of course, to be with Christ, that's what it's all about anyway. That is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You need me, at least for right now. I'm still here, so God has me here for a purpose. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. They sure needed him, didn't they? And all he's writing through what we have already studied in these five chapters. There were a lot of things that he had to make sure that they knew. And he's verifying to them here. He's going back on this resurrection and what what happens. Because there were a lot of different philosophies and religious thoughts back then too. Just as there are today. We must be reminded of these truths. Such basic truths. But very important. Death for him was really not an enemy. Death for him actually was what? A friend. Have you ever thought of that? Now that sounds radical. And it is. If you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, it sounds familiar. It's a very vivid term here. Whenever he says, and by the way, I'm working out of verse 6 and 8 before we go to verse 7. Because 8 is connected right with 6. He just had an interlude in 7, and it's all tied together. He says again in verse 8, we are of good courage. He's already said that, right, in verse 6. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. So he flip-flops it there. Here's what I prefer. I'd rather be with the Lord, right? And that word with, at home with the Lord, that's a key word there. The word is pros. And you'll see that in John 1.1. 1, 1. You'll know this. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God. Face to face is the idea. A perfect close communion that he had with the Father. As the Son was. Of course, the Holy Spirit all tied together. What we're talking about, the basic meaning here is facing. That is a communion that they had. A fellowship. The perfect fellowship is seen in the triune God. They enjoy each other. Can I say that? Absolutely. 
So it's a, it's a great communion that they have to be in the relationship of communion, um, taking that word a little bit further, and it's not really the word prosite in the exact same way, but you remember when Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross, today you shall be with me, with me in paradise. You're dying here. You're going to die. But I want to tell you, that very instant, you're going to be with me. There's going to be a communion there. With him. What a promise. Here is a guy that is a perfect picture of a sinner in all the acts that he had done. He's a criminal. He deserved to die on the cross. Jesus didn't. But he deserved that. And he did. But then he went on to be with the Lord. Would you say that that is a great example of grace? He didn't even get baptized by water. I think it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> Instantly. Boom. And of course, the reason you say that, there's such a misunderstanding of the atonement in our time now. Where Jesus didn't necessarily just he die for our sins in a punishment way, right? We're hearing this quite frequently now. He died as an example. No, he, he had to take punishment. That is scriptural. That's the heart of the gospel. And the atonement is so key, isn't it? Atonement is, is vital. Hey, it was marvelous to be in paradise. To be with the Lord in paradise. That's even better. With me in paradise. How marvelous that must be. From that one moment he died and then right there where he was at, right there with Christ. In the body, away from Christ, or out of the body and present with the Lord. Verse 6 and 8 says, now let's go to verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What does it mean to be away from the Lord? Well, Paul adds that we live by faith and not by sight. He says, okay, I'm absent from the Lord right now. And here's what I do as a Christian. I walk by faith. I just trust in Him. That's all I can do. That's what we're supposed to do. Live by faith. I don't see Him. That's the Christian life, isn't it? We walk by faith not by sight. It's the realm of faith. Walk by faith. To be, uh, I guess you can say, um, we don't see, we have this conviction of not seeing those spiritual things now that is to come. You compare that to what will be seen with our physical glorious eyes that we have. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Just for a moment. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, things hoped for, things that we know will happen. It goes beyond the earthly hope. It's a real hope, knowing. Um, So we have assurance. There's your blessed assurance, right? Hopeful for the conviction of things not seen. Things 
So faith is not so much dealing with things that are around us. There are things that show the very presence of God. And of course, you look at creation and you look at providence. Those are the two ways that He uh, has revealed His Word and who He is through creation and through providence as we look at His Word, right? Um, and of course, those are some very important things to know. That's what's going on. And so we see this, this idea of faith here, of uh, things hoped for. We don't see, but yet we are just knowing without a doubt what is going to be. Live by trust, the Word of God. Relying upon our Lord absolutely in every circumstance because of the written Word of God, because of His promises. So we live by faith. That's the idea. Live. Um, Peripateo is walk. Live. For we walk by faith. We live by faith. Every step. So he uses that that word, and it's a good analogy. Um, I still like the thought of this being face-to-face with God. Look in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Here's the great love chapter. Then he talks about faith, hope, and love. Three great gifts that will remain. Verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. Oh, we see. We see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face with him. See him as he is. I know in part, right now, I know in part. But then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. We get a glimpse here. We get a glimpse through His Word, by the power of His Spirit, by what He works in our lives, our experiences as, as it has worked out, as we work out our salvation. It's still in a, in a mirror. And their mirrors were, you know, they weren't very clear at all. It wasn't high def. It wasn't ultra high def. <laughs> It was about uh, as menial as could be, and you could take. Of course, they would try to polish. Uh, you know, you can imagine aluminum or something like that. If if you have that and you look at it, you can kind of see something in there if it's really shined up, some kind of metal, and that's what they would have uh, to to look in, or to look. You know, even in a um, some water, you just kind of see reflection, bright days, sun shining there. You know, you see a little bit there, reflection, but it's. It's seeing dimly, isn't it? We just get a little bit of a a glimpse there. But as we see there, we will see Him face to face. We'll be with Him. We pursue after God. Look in Psalm 42, 1 through... There's two verses. You all know this one. going after the Lord, thirsting for God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God face to face with Him? When will that happen? There's one thing about going to the, the, the tabernacle and going to worship God there. But there's an ultimate appearance before God. Thirst for Him. We should be thirsting for Him so much that we can't wait to see Him. Right? He's real. And of course our faith is real. But one day we would see that come to life even more. Out of the dimness, right? Psalm 73, 25. To have that relationship with Christ. Whom have I have in heaven but you? And besides you I desire, I have no ambition for nothing on earth. Whom have I heaven? It's only Christ. We have His truth, right? Besides you, I desire nothing else. Christ alone. That's the thought there. We have Christ alone. Nothing else really is our high pursuit. Look in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Again, the hall of faith. This is speaking of Abraham. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. There he's not speaking of a city in the, in, in the land that he was walking on. Even though he lived by faith out there, he just did what God had told him. But ultimately, he's talking about here the builder of the city. Speaking of very presence of God. Speaking of heaven there. That's really what Abraham was doing. Then we can go to Revelation 21.3. Such great promises to always keep pondering. 21.3 And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and He will dwell among them. And they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. Do you get the idea? Among us. Face to face, we will see Him. Not just some kind of ethereal thing, or way back in the distance. Face to face. Revelation 22, 3 and 4. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. It's us, the bondservants, and we'll see Him face to face. Isn't that exciting? It's not just coming from some little ideas that we think it might be this way. We have written on these pages, these documents. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord 
always be with the Lord. Right now, we don't see. We do not see these things because our bodies are not equipped to go up and enter into heaven and see those things. We couldn't even describe them in a human language if we tried our best with all the flowery English words that we can have. Look in John chapter 20, verse 29. Live by faith, not by sight. That's the section we're on. Jesus said to him, this is Thomas. Remember, doubting Thomas. Thomas is there with them finally. Next week, because you have seen me. Thomas saw him with his physical eyes, the resurrected Lord. Have you believed? Thomas did this time. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Physical eyes didn't see it, but they still believed. I think that is kind of rebuking to all of us because a lot of times we want to see those things that we're not allowed to see yet. I probably do. I do. First Peter 1.8 Just trusting, believing. Live by faith, not by sight. First Peter 1.8 <coughs> And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls, the completion of it all. Does that say it all? Is that the Christian's life right here? Just one verse. It's amazing how God can take his word and just in one verse... Just be so full, pleroma, of truth. No human could write like this. And though you have not seen him, we haven't seen him. You love him, don't you? You love Jesus Christ. You pursue him. And though you did or you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice. We, we should rejoice always, right? Certainly rejoicing this morning, being with the very presence of Christ, though we do not see Him, and His people, and worshiping Him, and pleasing Him. It's a joy that's inexpressible. It's a joy that goes far beyond anything else that our life can be offered this joy that comes from Him. And it's full of glory. Because we know where it's heading. A glorious time with Him. At home with the Lord. At home with the Lord. John 14, He gave the uh, apostles some truths they really need to know before He died. John 14, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a home for you. Fitted for us, right? At home with the Lord. 
there will be finally what comfort really means. Amen. Go back to our Second Corinthians. I think we covered six, seven, and eight now. Maybe. <laughs> we'll look at the text. Chapter five. Talk about home in the body, absent from the Lord. In verse 8, then he says, absent from the body, home with the Lord. The flip-flop. We talked about walking by faith and not by sight. That's what we do here. Now we go into 9 and 10. This is pleasing Christ. This is what we are here for. This is why we're here on earth, to please Christ. He says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, therefore, that's the second therefore, because of what we have just seen, what we have just talked about now, walking by faith, not by sight, being at home with the Lord, because of that, right now as we are here, we should have an ambition, a lot of ambitious people out, but what is truly ambition? The word here is ambition in my version. Whether we're here or whether we're there, we are to be well-pleasing to Him. He says, right now, I want you to be well-pleasing to Him. He doesn't give us any details there. I just want you to be pleasing to Him. How do I please Him? Well, the rest of Scripture tells us that, doesn't it? One of them is the fact that we can count on the fact that He's going to come back for us. And we're to be obedient to Him. Well-pleasing to the Lord. That's the Christian's ambition. Now, you can have other ambitions to do in life. But if you have that one to start with, that's the foundation, really. Everything else comes from there. If you have ambitions without Christ being at the top, then those ambitions are not going to succeed. What is the uh, idea here of ambition? It's... uh, Philo tomeomai. It's a passion for what is honorable. It's, um, you take that verb there, it means to strive eagerly to do something, to aspire earnestly. And you got the word tomeo in tomeo, which is dealing with uh, honor. And so it's doing something of honor, striving eagerly. To honor Christ here. To please Him. Paul's ambition is an eternal one. Because it is here. We are already here. We are already eternal beings, are we not? We have eternal life. It starts right here. This life does count. It counts hugely. The things we do in this life count tremendously. To aspire earnestly. He wants to make Christ his very goal that he pursues, pleasing him. Whether he's in this body or whether he's away from this body. And away from this body means present with the Lord. Romans 15.20 And thus, I aspired to 
preach the gospel. Not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Here the word there is aspired, or I had this ambition. It's the top of my goals to preach the gospel of Christ. That's why Paul continued on as long as he did on this earth. His ambition is to preach the gospel, to live the gospel. If that's what it was for Paul and he being a Christian, even though we're not apostles, we should have the same thing, shouldn't we? To preach the gospel, to live the gospel. A passion is the thought there. That is honorable. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. We turn to 1 Thessalonians this morning already in the same chapter. Here in verse 11, preceding that one verse, he says, to make it your ambition, there's that word again, to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. Now he gets down to the nitty-gritty in life. He's talking about working, doing a job. Sometimes it seems like a meaningless thing to do, to go work. Matter of fact, it seems like quite a trial sometimes to go to work. <laughs> but you look in Ephesians, you look in Colossians. It talks about we are to do our work heartily as unto the Lord. We're working for Him. It would be an honorable profession. To lead a quiet life. Do your business, to work with your hands. Just, you know, every day going about business, the mundane things, whatever it is, everything's to be uh, to the glory of God. And so he says, don't be a rebel rouser, right? That, the quiet kind of life. Don't be quiet in your witness. But it's talking about not being a, a, a rowdy one that would uh, not be lining up with his testimony. So there it even gets into our everyday living, our working. And we can please him there. You know what? He gave us the job anyway. It is a blessing. Pleasing God. Pleasing God. David Brainerd lived and died to please God. Died before he was 30. He certainly made a mark. A man of reformed faith. A man who would be a very acquainted with... Uh, Jonathan Edwards. He had a similar thought. He said this, I do not go to heaven to be advanced, but to give honor to God. It's, it is no matter where I shall be stationed in heaven, whether I have a high or low seat there. My heaven is to please God and glorify Him and give all to Him and to be wholly devoted to His glory. Now, they're holy as the W-H-O-L-L-Y. Fully, completely devoted. Everything. Forgetting self. Denying self. Taking up the cross. Following Him. That's the thought. That's what Brainerd did. And he went on to be with the Lord real quick. <laughs> went right on into glory. It wasn't a pleasant way to die, I must add. And it's not that we are trying to take a morbid view. Hey, I can't wait till I die. You know, if you go around telling people that, 
I might get the wrong connotation of what Christianity is about, but at the same time, we must take this truth and realize what everything is going to. Um, pleasing Christ is found in our verse 9 here, being home with the Lord. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. I think uh, some translations would will say Christ, some won't Him, uh, possibly meaning Christ, but pleasing God, right? Same thing. Um, in Ephesians 5.10, let's, let's see where it talks about pleasing God. It's mentioned more than once, isn't it? Ephesians 5.10 Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It's trying to learn what truth and righteousness, goodness is. Learning that. We, we learn that. Jesus, when he is here on earth in the body, learned obedience. That's, that's hard to fathom there. How did he learn obedience? Of course, we know he was raised up as a child and he was taught the things of God. He learned those things. He was strengthened by that, said early on. Here it is. We constantly are trying to learn more and more what pleases him. Not what pleases me. Because that's the first thing that we want. Even when we become Christians, right from the very outset, we still have so much of ourselves involved in it. And we do all the way through our Christian life. Hopefully we're shedding more and more though. Dying daily. Trying to learn what pleases the Lord. Let's go to another scripture that deals with pleasing the Lord. And, uh, if you go to Philippians, next book over, 4.18. Pleasing. It says, But I have received everything in full. And have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus. Sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. Offered in thanksgiving. We have spiritual sacrifices, and of course there are monetary sacrifices that were given. That's part of the dying, sacrificing, having um, this kind of attitude. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, something we're all familiar with. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Seeking His will. And when we are obedient to Him, we're having our minds renewed. And then living that out, we prove what is acceptable. We prove what is pleasing to God, don't we? Present your bodies a living holy sac uh, sacrifice, acceptable to God. Pleasing to God is the thought 
there, pleasing God. Colossians 3.20, still dealing with pleasing God. This is what we live for, isn't it? To please God. To please God. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So there it even extends to the children. If they're obedient to parents, then they are pleasing God. That's really all they have to do, little children as they grow up. Their younger days and, and such. Just listen to what mom and dad says. If they are biblical, right? And they'll be raised, raised in a way that would please the Lord. We in Colossians. Think, um, <clears throat> verse 10 goes right along with our text that we're looking at today. So that you will walk. There's that word walk. Walk by faith. In a manner worthy of the Lord. Living in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects. And when you do that, what happens? Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. So we don't stop with it at a certain age. Or I've been a Christian so long and then boom. No, we continue to grow, to increase in the knowledge of God. It's a great text there. Great for Titus chapter 2 verse 9. What about pleasing God? We've seen several issues dealing with what it is to please God. Titus pastoral letter that Paul wrote. Urge bond slaves to be subject, verse 9, own masters and everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in every respect. There's bond slaves. That'd be us. That's, that's people who work. That's the thought there. Subject to her masters or bosses and everything, well-pleasing, not argumentative. And that will please God. So several different ways, and we see that it's an ongoing every day, every moment kind of thing to please God, isn't it? It's not just when we appear together in church on Sundays. What drove Paul's ambition? What kind of ambition is this? This is supreme, isn't it? This is the supreme ambition of all things. He's moving from this present existence. As he writes here, he desires to enter the very presence of the Lord. That's what he desires. That's what he wants. And now he calls him to the fact that there's an examination. In verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, while we're here, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's interesting. There's a divine judgment. After He's been talking about all this stuff here, and then he says, okay, what you have to do now, in the meantime, while you are not present with the Lord in the body, a glorious body, and you're in this body here, 
I want you to please God. And here's the reason why. There's a Bema seat, a judgment seat. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, there's a warning here. And by the way, it's not an option. Hey, come to the judgment seat if you get a chance. <laughs> it's a requirement. And it will happen. And so therefore, it would not be wise to take this lightly. The judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat. And Luke's prayer said, Bema. The Bema seat. That would be something very well known to the people in Corinth, the Roman Empire. They would have a, a seat where there would be court cases taken. Of course, we think of the judge today and such. And of course, but, but this would be the the, the center of uh, of the of the town or at the gates. Uh, you hear of that. There would be civil officials. They would hold a session. And they would take certain legal cases and then render judgments upon this. Well, this is not too surprising. That's We work on that principle here uh, in this country. The Bema seat is the seat of Christ here. It's not the great white throne judgment. As we will look at this, we're not talking about sins uh, necessarily, uh, what are we talking about? Another uh, good picture of the beam of seat would be the Olympics, and there would be a judge or the uh, rewarder uh, to the ones who uh, won their particular competition. They would come up to this beam of seat and then be rewarded. And I think that's a really good picture because it really ultimately deals with rewards. Our sins have already been judged. So therefore, we're not standing at the great white throne judgment to see if we're going to make it or not. If that be the case, then we need to throw out that song called Blessed Assurance. <laughs> we need to throw out the whole Reformed theology that we have and, and say, okay, by my works, it's going to get me in there. My, that would be hopeless, wouldn't it? Yet, many who profess Christ, they absolutely believe in that kind of doctrine. It's, yeah, he died for my sins, but now I have to hold on to it. From here on out, if I don't confess a sin, I too will go to hell. My. <laughs> that would be something around your neck, wouldn't it? So he says, because in verse 9, he's, and he's talking to believers here. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Only Christians desire to be pleasing to God. Only Christians can do that. So it is the judgment of the believer here. That's what's in view. He's talking to the Corinthians. He's talking to the whole body of Christ. They will give an account of what they've done here. And you can say, well, yeah, wait a minute. The cross was all done there. So how does this fit in? Well, for one thing, we are responsible for our actions, our thoughts. We're determined by the things that are done in this body, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, in the body here. So the body that we've been given here, the way that we have been given to live life here is absolutely accountable to God. Judgment. 
is, this particular judgment is based on works. After salvation, of course. It is the works. He says the deeds. Somebody could read that and go, oh, see, works salvation right there. They point that to you. You say, well, absolutely. But this is after salvation. Only for the Christian. He's already pointed that out. If um, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember, this is the same people. Verse 10, we'll start with there. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So we see that it's not a salvation works type basis here, but it's talking about the Christian who is judged on his deeds in the body after he becomes a Christian. He will receive a reward. It's a reward. Um, it talks about that man's work, if it's not for the glory of God, if it's not to please God, it's going to be burned up. Everything that has nothing to do with the glory of God will all vanish. We will not take that kind of junk into the present eternal kingdom of God. We will not do that. So when he talks about this uh, work being burned up, J. Vernon McGee likes to say about the judgment seat of Christ here, Many of us are going to smell like we've been bought at a fire sale. <laughs> Does that sound like Jay Vernon there, Bob? Yeah. For sure. But that's hardly what Paul was saying here in, in this sense. Um, apostles concerned about what we gain by trading with our privilege that's been given. If we look in... Matthew six, nineteen through twenty one. Sermon on the Mount section here. It's about living the life here. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. It's right here. They get a reward, all right. It's right here. It's pleasing men. It makes you look good when you do things outwardly. That people could see you. He says, but you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, 
so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. Don't do what the Pharisees do. Well, everybody will know that you're fasting, that you're spiritual in some way, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there we go. It's a personal thing. It's personal to the Father. But it's not some kind of a show that people will be impressed by, which the Pharisees did. And so that's why he mentioned that. It's going to be a time when he's going to, in a sense, I guess you could say, ask us what we've gained by trading with the talents, the gifts, the privileges that we have been given to us while we're in these bodies. And, of course, 1 Corinthians 3 spoke of that in detail, didn't it? And so if we have gold and silver precious things then he will reward us but if it amounts to wood hay stubble it all burns up wood hay stubble burns but you take gold can you burn it away well you'll burn all the dross off of it silver but you know what the true gold remains and that's what will go into the eternal state so though people are forgiven and they are Christians the scrutiny of our Lord is directed towards our service as believers. Rather serious, isn't it? Even the little things. The little responsibilities that He's given us. The little privileges that don't seem like anything. They are up for scrutiny at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema seat. It's an amazing thing. It's very solemn, and at the same time, uh, as we realize we're forgiven, Hanley Mull has uh, called it an amnesty of immeasurable mercy. And I I, kind of like that, a marvelous expression there, an amnesty of immeasurable mercy. Thank you, Lord, right? But we still face the scrutiny of him, even though he's a very merciful God. He will judge what we've done here. Now it's interesting. He says we'll be recompensed. We'll be either rewarded for those deeds or they will be burned up. First Corinthians says uh, that as we had read it according to what we have done what we've done here whether good or bad whether good or bad. Now, he goes on to say that we're going to receive whatever is according to what we've done. By the way, this is to all. He said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And yet it's still individual to each one. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds. So we're not all going in as a one big group and, you know, he rewards the church and It's still an individual thing, whether good or bad. That word good is, I think, pretty explanatory. Those are the things that please God, things that give Him glory, things that are for Him. The word bad there, it's kind of an interesting word. Usually you think of bad, you think of panarash, you think of evil, wicked. Bad. It is bad things. He's not using that word here. He's actually using a word that means worthless. Of no value. 
recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether worthless, I mean, something that's worthwhile or something that is worthless. Kind of the thought there. So it's not the evil thing or that bad in that sense. It's sense of worthless things and things that don't please Christ. They're worthless and we won't receive a reward for those. And he can keep stripping things away as he burns with the fire as that is not eternal. We don't want that there. And so someone has said it's like somebody has a dress and by the time God's done with it, they're wearing a miniskirt. <laughs> now, I don't want to be irreverent with that. That's, that's a picture of... We want to receive the rewards, don't we? Is it wrong to do that? I want to go after the rewards. Well, we go after pleasing God. The rewards come after that. But do you want the rewards? Absolutely. I'd be an idiot not to want the rewards that God has given me that I have done here. Everybody should. I've heard other people say, you know, I don't care about the rewards or anything. I don't want even want any rewards. I just want to be there with Him. Well, that's all well and fine. But it's also biblical to desire the best that God has for you in serving Him. We're talking about a capacity to serve Him in a bigger way there than we would if we were not pleasing to Him. That's the idea. We're going to have much more capacity to say, well, the first, last, and last verse, that's right. It's a dead heat. We'll say, what's the difference then? I really don't have to do much anything here as a Christian because I know when I go there, I'll be equal with everybody. You know, the thing is, there's a capacity that one will have to serve God. That's in a bigger way. It's not going to make somebody better than somebody else. But wouldn't you want all the capacity that you can possibly have based upon the fact that what you did here? It's just a short time we're here. But we are highly accountable for this. We have to take this text at face value as we look at other texts. And you say, well, when does this happen? Well... It either, either can occur at death or at the parousia, just before the second coming. I don't know. Paul doesn't elaborate on that. Um, we're held accountable through our body. We're held accountable for its deeds. Body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the object of redemption. We're called to honor God with our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Run from it. Run from the temptation of it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price Therefore, glorify God in your body while you're here. This is a warning for all sex outside of marriage. 
And he says, when you get a temptation, flee from it. Run from it. Run like Joseph ran. Even if your coat falls off, don't even go back and get it. Because we're one with Christ. The Holy Spirit is here. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's a big thing when somebody practices fornication and he reminds them that the body that you have, it's been given from God. It's Holy Spirit lives there if you're a Christian. He bought you. You don't even own this body. He, you know, you say, I don't own much of anything. At least I have myself. I have my body. He says, no, you don't even. No, I'm the one who created you. That's mine. Now you use it to please me. That's what he's saying. And by the way, when you please him, it will be good for you because you get recompensed even here. Don't we? Quite the joy whenever we are obeying God. And He He owns our next body too. He can do with whatever He wants, but we're here to honor God with our bodies. Oh, my. Our time is up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Putting all this together, remember that today is the day responsibility and opportunity. And so we want to make it our ambition to please God. That is a positive thing, isn't it? That, if you have that desire, that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your truth here. May we be conformed to Your very image as we live in these bodies that it would reflect the very person of Christ for one day we will see Him as He is and be like Him. In Your Son's name, Amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Till next time.